Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh no, is it everywhere? No, sure, stay and sort that out. We can have dinner another time. Amazing. Whether it's cancelled plans. Ah, get in the kitchen and calm down. Or the need for a quick, convenient distraction. Introducing Goodfellas Mini Pizzas. Four mini pizzas made with respect that cook in 11 minutes. Goodfellas Minis. Embrace the unexpected. Hello everyone, welcome to bloodandmud.com podcast, your sweary pipe bomb of rugby knowledge. I am Lee Calvert, the editor of bloodandmud.com, and over there that gentleman is... I, I am indeed Josh Gardner of rugbyshirtwatch.com. Josh and I are back, fresh from our trip to Twickenham. We where, are, where what we a ate, wonderful day it was. Where we ate cheese sandwiches, we proudly did. carried about our bags of this and that. <laughs> we actually did. We did, we, we actually proof, did, we had a photo photographic it, proof on Twitter and everything. Had a lovely chat with Billy Vinopola. Did. And and witness the end of human civilization as we know it. Apparently, judging by <laughs> yes, some of the reactions, all, like, there is literally nothing left for us now. <laughs> you can Don't worry about. We all thought Trump was going to destroy the world, yeah. but apparently, no, it's Brendan Venter. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, you could you could have predicted that though. Actually, if somebody I was mean, yeah. say, have a think about who might destroy little, the world with a little bit of foresight, you <laughs> could quite easily have thinking. Imagine about if it. him and Bujala got a job together. Imagine the bond oh, villainy that could God. happen there. Uh, you can get in touch with the pod uh, at Blood and Mud, and you can get in touch with Josh. Uh, at Josh Gardner, or indeed at Rugby Shit Watch. Both of those are on Twitter, obviously. There's also a Blood and Mud Facebook page, and there's obviously the bloodandmud.com uh, website, if you're into that old-style, you know, mm. old-style yes. stuff, non-social media indeed. stuff. Go to rugbyshirtwatch.com if you're that way inclined. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you crazy you can have a motherfucker. Look at, <laughs> look at some shirts and the like. Uh, yeah. There is... You could you can leave us a review. This pod is available on Acast, on iTunes, and any good pod player. Um, somebody was mithering me the other week because I couldn't get it to work in Podcast Addict, but it does work in Podcast Addict now. But there you go, you can use it there. Please either leave a review in iTunes if you if you would. It helps us a lot, and if you enjoy it, just take a couple of seconds to say how much you enjoy it and leave us a, a review, five stars. It'd be great. Yeah, um, why not? And you can also still using our lovely code get yourselves uh, some lovely booze to forget the fact that the world has been completely destroyed. Um, <laughs> By rocking. 
Yes. Or not. Or not rocking, as the case may be. <laughs> you can do that at beer52.com with the code BloodMud10 and get yourself £10 off a lovely crate of the best craft beer the UK and the rest of the world has to offer. I was running out of breath there, did you notice? I thought you were just getting really excited about Beer 52, <laughs> but no, well, you were just actually it, yeah, sorry. Just slowly dying. In case yeah. Beer 52 are listening, that's exactly what I was doing. Uh, the... Um, <laughs> So, coming up, we've got a review of the Six Nations, obviously. Uh, the aforementioned yes. interview with Vunapola Billy Variation. Exclusive interview, Exclusive interview. Yes. You will not hear this anywhere else. No. Um, you'll also get some contemplation of life without rugby, as we know it, because it's been destroyed. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of taking up crocheting, Josh. What will you do when rugby no longer exists? Um, I mean, needlepoint's obviously a... A standard start point, but I mean, I, I might get into whittling. I've always fancied doing a bit of whittling. Why it don't you get fun. in touch with us at Blood and Mud and tell us what you're going to do now that rugby is destroyed? Um, <laughs> before we get into the main body of the podcast, uh, the Pen GW is a long-time fan and very big advocate of the pod. Hello out there. Um, his Hello. his little boy and your namesake, Josh, turned one That's last week. Name. So Josh the Bosch from the bloodandmud.com podcast, happy birthday to you. Indeed, from one Josh to another. Happy birthday. Right then. England versus Italy. Yeah. First of all, I have to apologise for ruining it by being there. <laughs> it's funny because like, we were waiting around a Twickenham before the game yesterday and we yes. were joking about how we should just record the podcast like there. Yeah, because we had a couple because... of hours to kill, didn't we? We so said, let's find a yeah. room and try and record it now because we could just predict yeah. exactly what's going to happen here. Ooh, exactly. how this we is going to be another comprehensive England drubbing. Nothing to talk about how wrong we were yes um i mean from a neutral perspective and by neutral i mean actively rooting against england in all things of course um it is <laughs> yeah. a fascinating and genuinely hilarious game it was it, but, it was quite funny I being mean, sat to josh yesterday it must be said we were also <laughs> we also had the guy in front of us who was oh. insufferable wasn't he it he was, was he basically epitomized a lot of the stereotypes that um, rugby fans have about yeah, non-English this... rugby fans may have about going to Twickenham. This guy was, yes, was everything was in a, one little package. A, I mainly, I mainly bit my tongue for most of the game. There were yeah, I'm occasions. English and I was grinding my teeth. Some <laughs> you of the were, I think you were just as annoyed about him as I was. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but it was for, like I mean, obviously the, the inevitable result occurred. We all knew it was yes. going to eventually be an England bonus point win, but it did kind of lay bare how far this England team has to go in terms of both game intelligence and tactical flexibility. It does. Um, just before we move on to that, the fact that I ruined games, Fiona K. Hunter did get in touch on Twitch and say, do you fancy going to the Calcutta Cup game as well? Because <laughs> she's Scottish, obviously. I uh, think no, you I, definitely... I would I love to go. I can't, Scotland I got should come together to buy us tickets, to be honest. <laughs> to send us there. She, did, she even put hashtag please on it. That's how desperate she is. Um, <laughs> Obviously, the big news has been this thing about the Rook. You made the point about tactical flexibility. We'll come on to that in a minute. But mm. Matt Dawson and Eddie Jones had plenty to say about oh, what this means geez. for the game of rugby. Um, so let's have a listen about what they said about what it means about the game of rugby. You could accept the fact that this city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Mm-hmm. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. It- so there you go. That's what's going to happen to the game of rugby. That's basically it, yeah. That's what I mean. Matt Dawson and Eddie Jones were both saying yesterday. That wasn't a clip yes. from Ghostbusters. 
No, definitely not. I remember vividly us sitting in the car on the way home and listening to Eddie James <laughs> saying exactly that. You know. Before we get into the discussion, let's talk about this a little minute. Let, let's go back to the facts. Let's look at the law, okay? Law mm. 16 of the World Rugby Laws is what deals with rucking, okay? And rucking is characterised as this. A phase of play where one or more players from each team are on their feet in physical contact, close around the ball, close around the ball on the ground. Open play has ended. 16.1b says, how can a ruck form? Players are on their feet. At least one player must be in physical contact with an opponent. The ball must be on the ground. And if the ball is off the ground for any reason, the, off the ground for any reason, the ruck is not formed. So quite clearly, rucks were not being formed. Yeah. I mean, we could, we were sitting behind the posts in the middle tier quite a way back. Yeah, on the, at the end of the ground where England scored all their tries in the second half, that's where we were. Yes, and we could quite easily see that no rucks were being formed. It no. was very obvious. The chuntering from the crowd it. was hilarious, though, when, when Sergio Paris was stood waving his arms. <laughs> they were so angry, and we were so incandescent with annoyance that... They were all so wrong. <laughs> yeah. um. I was listening to the BBC this morning on Radio 4, and Rob Bonnet even said people were very, uh, England were very frustrated because Italy was standing in offside positions, at which point I screamed at my radio, they, they weren't in offside position! <laughs> but it's like, yeah, they couldn't, they just couldn't work out. It was a brilliant, brilliant bit of defensive game planning from Brendan Venter and Connor O'Shea. Um, but it's just remarkable that England couldn't work out how to combat. That's combat the biggest it. thing. That's the thing, is it? And it also it wasn't the lack of rucking's fault that no. Owen Farrell played like he had really a boot bad, made of rice pudding. You know, it's kind of and it's not. And yeah, but they were basically you could see that they were told how to do it, like how to like counteract this at half time hmm. because they came out for that like ten minute period after half time. And they'd obviously been told to target the middle of the inverted commas ruck yeah. that didn't exist. And they did that for 10 minutes and they scored two tries. And then for some reason they stopped doing it. And it wasn't really until Italy were out on their feet in the last 15 minutes that they made any more hay with it at all. And that was just because they literally couldn't tackle anymore by that point. I've not actually watched the game since I've, obviously I was there. I watched the game because yes. I was there, but I've not watched it on media, if you know what I mean, since I've come back. So I don't no, know what was being said. But apparently it was a bit where Haskell went over and asked um asked what we gotta do to get a rook. What have we gotta do to get a rook? And he said I'm the referee, <laughs> I'm the referee I'm not, not the, coach. the coach. Yeah, which, which is, is my quite funny. Ever. I don't defend Haskell very often, but I do actually think he was probably just trying to see what the ref wanted him to do so they don't get penalised about anything. Yes, I think I think that was Gosses just basically Quite. pulling a noise, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm the referee, not your coach. Stand-up comedian. <laughs> no, was. he's actually asking you a question that he would like to know the answer to. What, <laughs> what would, what would constitute a ruck in your mind? Is what Haskell was basically saying. Yes, and <laughs> I guess he was just. I guess part sort of that was part just saying the a, a ruck is a fucking ruck, mate. You know, you know, you should know what a ruck is by now. If they're not, then I thought it was very interesting that apparently Italy told Pat that they were going to do this in their refs meeting before the game. Oh, did they? I've not seen week. that. Apparently, they basically said, look, we've got this tactic. Um, of not, We're not going to commit to rucks and we're going to be constantly offside. Like we're hmm. going to constantly be in what would be a technically an offside position. We just want to make you aware of it so that you know 
when that happens that we are not forming rucks and we are and that i mean for starters that is fucking very savvy from conor o'shea there because i'm brendan venter of course I love Brendan about Brendan Venter. I reckon when Brendan Venter was to make sure that Poit knows that that is what you're going to try and do before the game even kicks off. I've got so this... that you know that he's gone to the rule book and checked what you can get away with yeah. and what you can't. It's incredible. It's a, that's fucking genius. It is he, as and much I... as doing it, making sure that the ref is aware of it, so that he doesn't. Because a lot of refs, like certainly a fucking Pro 12 ref, would have shat himself. And I mean, Nige. There was a moment in the France game um, against Ireland hmm. where um, I think it was Slimani tried to do the same thing. Um, and Nigel basically told him to get back onside, hmm. which was wrong because he was perfectly entitled to be wherever it the just fuck doesn't, he wanted. It, it happens so little, it looks wrong. Yes, That's exactly. why you could so, see the crowd were chunting when we were there because it looks so wrong. So, yeah, and so by making sure that Poit was aware of it, as soon as they started doing it, he wasn't going, oh, what the fuck's going on here? Like the England players were. They were going, okay, so they're doing this. I know the rules. Hands in the air, no ruck. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it's for all their success, it was it was a reminder of how far England have to go because... Yeah, and having... Why, and, and sitting there watching the game. You were an, you cut an incredibly frustrated figure, <laughs> and I don't blame you. I mean, everyone there was frustrated. But it was... But, it was, it was it it still shows how little they play the game. There was that try that um, the To try when yes. they were they nearly drove over on what mm. would have been England's left attacking. That was right underneath us, and they did the usual knobhead forwards thing where they kept driving for the line through about four phases. Yeah, for about I think three of the four phases there was a five on two overlap for England. And yes, we yeah. and I was on my feet, incandescent with rage, screaming, screaming. And fair enough, because there wasn't an Italian defender. No, on the left-hand side and of the pitch, kind of from game, where we were sitting. And we sat down, and I said, you know, often in this, is it that the roar of the crowd gets so loud that, that they can't, that Youngs hear can't the hear that, yeah. you, that Ford's calling for the ball because he was, he was calling for the ball. Yeah, but it's also that kind of game intelligence issue where even mm. if Youngs didn't look. Knowing Italy as knackered as they were at that point in the game, having taken four dives, yeah. just spin it to your outside half and get it and get it working because, mm. and that was a kind of that was a little picture in a much more traditional setting, setting, like, yeah, play, phase setting of where of, of not... the lack of just think about it for a minute, you know, and mm. and that's that's the thing about the rookie. It should have it should have been a shock for about ten minutes. Yeah, then they should have gone right. I can see what's happening what? here. Yeah, yeah. For for all the shit, and he has got a lot of shit for it on Twitter. But Jiffy remarking that the All Blacks would have seen what Italy were doing, adjusted and scored sixty, is yeah. very true. Yeah, absolutely, like, they would have done. Like they'd, they'd have just England got, they'd straight, have just got, they'd have just got Kaino in Reed, just driving straight over the top. <laughs> just of that gone line. straight over the top, yeah. and it would have been fine. Like their strength, yeah. but England's strength in the last year has been the system. And we'll talk, we actually we talked a little bit about this before the game, ironically. With, with Billy hmm. but like even when things aren't going well for England they're so well drilled in their system and they're confident enough in the system and the pattern hmm. that they still generally pull out a win but Sunday demonstrated that if you do something unexpected with them tactically hmm. they're still lacking the intelligence and the tactical nous and the flexibility to adapt on the fly and even when they're told what to do they struggle to get out of what they've been 
taught to do and what they've sort of drilled to do. They're still incredibly regimented as a team. Yeah, and it's um, it was very frustrating to watch in the fact they didn't figure out. All credit to Italy, actually. Great. And you've got to feel sorry for Italy because basically before the game, it's sort of like, well, you're getting beaten by 60 points. You're a disgrace. You shouldn't be allowed in the tournament. Mm. And then Matt Dawson says, oh, by doing this creative what? thing, you're a disgrace and you're not allowed in the tournament. Well, well shall we talk about this hilarious pearl clutching bollocks mm. from Dawson and because it's just I think to be fair, Let's be Dawson's honest. bad. Jones, it's a completely calculated attempt to, to shift the conversation. Oh, massive. Him so. just say him just going, Oh, that's not really rugby. We need to go and train and play a rugby game now with that glint in his yeah. eyes. Him going, I'm not you're not going to address questions to me about this. I'm just going to slag them off and we move on. That's yeah. what that, that that's what spe- he, that's him there. It's spectacular blend. Like it's sour grapes to like O'Shea said it best after the game, you know, they're not turning up to have their tummies tickled. Hmm. They're there to do whatever it takes to try and be competitive and to keep the score down. And it's and this like, whole thing about, you know, the must, yeah, they're doing what they need to do, like any team would do. And this kind of like, it's just the hysteria of it. I mean, I can only understand. I know. Because, you know, oh, World Rugby need to look at this immediately and do what no, exactly? What, you change can't the offside law. How's that going to work? Because if you look at the offside at Rook's law, it's which is 16-5, it says that a player must either join a rook or retire behind the offside line immediately, which is what Italy were doing. They were hitting in a tackle yeah. and coming back. Some people have made the point that, oh, Italy had two people in the tackle at one point and one of them stood up and ran back and that wasn't a rook. Well, no, it's not a rook because unless two people from opposing players... Cold. And unless two players from opposing teams are over the ball in contact. So if they hit yeah. and come back like rugby league, it's done. Yeah. It's done. If a player loiters at the side of the rook, the player is offside. That's one thing that's said. Yeah. And then, then D is players not joining the rook. If a player is no. in front of the offside line and does not join the rook, the player must retire behind the offside line at once. If a player is behind the offside line, oversteps it and does not join the rook, the player is offside. So actually, 16.5D does compel people to join the rook if they are past the offside line. Yes. Which basically means if you're in front of the back foot, you have to join the yeah. rook. You can't just stand there. Yeah. But if you've if you've come from behind the offside line and there was no ruck in the first place, then you're fine. Yeah, exactly. So and and you can't write a law that compels them to go into no, to a, join ruck a ruck unless they're beyond the offside line. The only thing you could do is rewrite the law to say that actually the tackle creates the offside line. And is that really what you want to do? Well, that then just turns it into rugby league again. Yeah, and nobody it? will you know, intercept. It's... Nobody will intercept an offload. No, it be. <laughs> See the thing. The thing about. Jones just so disingenuously sort of coming out with all this bollocks after the game is that yeah he just he should just put his hand up and say that he got out thought tactically he Mm. hadn't coached his players well enough to combat it and given that they won the game with a bonus point anyway he probably should have been magnanimous enough to accept that yeah fair enough they tried a little wrinkle the weird thing is is that he started fair play he started his interview like that yeah, we were sat in the car driving turned. away, and he started off with all credit to Italy, and then just basically took all credit away from Italy immediately. Yeah, and, and, and was incredibly spiteful about it. As somebody who masterminded one of the biggest upsets in rugby history eighteen months ago by doing things a little bit differently. You think he'd have a bit of fucking respect for somebody who was in a similar position, using some creative mm. outside the box thinking to try and be competitive with a team that they're expected to get dicked by? Yeah, but everything he does has an agenda. Of course, you know, it, 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 by 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 giving them credit and, and discussing it and giving, then 
it takes away from the fact he wants to forget about this now because he knows basically that we were that we were shit really. Yeah, we were terrible. We were kind of shit. We pulled it together last fifty minutes when Italy were absolutely fucking knackered. Exhausted. If you look to that, well, Danny, Brent, that Danny said, if they had had better fitness, they might have won that game, and he's right. That Danny kit and a kicker. That that oh, fucking hell, yeah. That Danny Kerr well, try. If either team had had a kicker, to <laughs> yeah, be honest. True. That Danny Kerr try. Uh, when he tapped and went quickly, yeah. the second row. And all right, it was a second row, but that that, that was, was like exhausted. that was like what yeah. six minutes after half time. minutes. Yeah, yeah he just had minutes. ten minutes to sit down. For and he God was knackered. Sake. It was a really tired attempt at a tackle, and that just shows yeah. you where where it was going. He knows they played very badly. He's not going to stand mm. there and say that. Really, he's going to make. He's just going to say. He's he's going to have a go at Italy. Let's move on. It's Scotland now, and let's yeah. talk about that. So. But the thing is, if, if England had used that exact tactic to beat the All Blacks. They'd be calling him a genius, and yes, like the fury and the scorn that the tactics have provoked among like England players, pundits, and fans in in some areas is it kind of we joke about a lot of sensible people. A lot of sensible people aren't doing that though, are they? It tends to no, be the Dawsons of this but, world and his, and and the Will Carlins of this world. I comp- no, I completely agree. But it's it, what it does betray is for all of our joking about bags of this and bags of that. <laughs> Like it does, kind of. It's the point that Telfer was making, namely that there is there's a certain group of England fans, pundits, and ex-players who sort of think that it's the duty of a visiting team, particularly ones that are deemed to be inferior, to rock up at HQ, accept the pasting England of the divine right to put upon them, and then be lucky they even got the chance to grace these hallowed fields. And I think, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I think a lot of England fans aren't like that. Uh, you know, no, I completely. The trouble is, is not, that the ones that are very publicly and fully represented in the media tend to be like that. They're kind of old school. Yes, and I, I think that is kind of what games. winds people up, and that is, and that's why I think quite a lot of people enjoyed it because there was there was a bloke. It did stu- just make so many people angry. Who <laughs> there was a bloke stu- should be angry. When we were walking back to the car, there was a bloke because it's quite crowded getting back, isn't it? And there was a bloke still behind us with his missus. Who was basically saying in a, in in this voice was saying, I mean, it's simply not fair. It's not fair that they make players look like that, and, and it's cheating. It's cheating coming around there like that and making players make mistakes like that. And I was sat there. I had to kind of like just grip my phone tightly and keep looking at it to stop everything. Well, stop myself from turning around and throwing throwing the phone straight in his head, basically, because it was just. But also, yeah, it, I, I vividly remember that guy. It was very funny. <laughs> but that's the, and I've, I've seen enough people. I've seen some people going, "Oh, and isn't it? A sh-, you know, there were so many children there today with the school thing. To them to see <laughs> that, that. Like, said that, you've literally oh, gone Lovejoy. You've gone full Mrs. Lovejoy. Give it a rest. Yeah, imagine because um, Dawson made a point about. It. Imagine what a what a complete chaos club rugby is going to be next week. Yeah, imagine that that we actually make them do something different and make them actually think about how they're going to address it. What a fucking shambles it'll be. Yeah, imagine imagine what a complete shambles it's going to be when somebody tries that next week and the number eight picks the ball up and runs through the gaping <laughs> fucking hole in the ruck and gets 30 metres and they don't with do you it yesterday. again. Barry, Barry Thirds had a couple of blokes in their, thir- in their 40s who looked like a boulder on, on short legs. And that's <laughs> what their entire attacking strategy was. They would basically just pick up and step and run over the ruck for about 18 yeah. minutes. It can be and done. That's, and that's all you need to do to make... Because if you keep doing that, teams will not be able to keep standing off like that because... No. And why, frankly, wasn't, why, wasn't Danny Care, why wasn't Danny Kerr calling people to run off him more then? Why wasn't, yeah, but, why wasn't George Ford lining up closer to Care and slightly yeah. behind him? And why, actually, the biggest question, 
If there's nobody rucking, there's no contest for the ball. So why the fuck wasn't it flying out? Flying out. Rugby league yeah, style. Yeah, why wasn't Kerr literally zipping it out uh, before we, they even got there? You watch them warm, we, we watch them warming up before the game. And mm. and every every team does it, that warm-up thing, where they're basically playing touch, you know, and, they, and yeah. somebody gets the ball and they, they get touched and they, they hit the deck, they present the ball and it gets spun again. Yeah. They didn't do that in the game. That's what it should have been. No. So yeah. actually ask yourself that question. Why couldn't you within, I've said it before, but why was it within seven minutes they didn't go, there's no rug? In fact, just just Happy don't days. even bother yeah. trying to drive people forward. Just let them get tackled. Yeah. Give me the ball, we'll go again. Yeah, and it's not, and it's also a case of, you know, it's interesting that when Noel came on, he mm. basically did that. He did, yeah. He true. just, he got, he picked the ball up or he took the ball from you and he just ran over the top of the ruck. And all of a sudden, Italy were at sixes and sevens. It's known as, it's what they call in rugby league, scooting. Scoot, scooting mm. the ball when the, when the hooker because it's the hooker that acts as dummy half in rugby league. Those yeah. of you, I don't know there's plenty of people out there who do know that, but scoot and basically you scoot the ball when it's a disorganised defence and you, you you can pick up and go quick. It's called scooting the ball, and that's what they should have been doing. Yeah, that traditional it's... that that traditional in fact the traditional Scottish way. Present the yes. ball, pick and go. Present the ball, pick and go. Present the ball, pick and go. It's not you know these are drills you do in training every week at every level of the game. Mm. And just because you don't actually get to use it in a game in that level of, you know, easiness usually, like that shock shouldn't take 70 minutes to wear off. To talk about Italy yet, for a yeah. minute, because they were there as well, um, we joke about yeah. Sergio Parisi's, fuck it, I'll do it myself, right, don't we, all the time. <laughs> but everywhere. it is only when you sat watching a game that you realise he's fucking Every he is everywhere. There was one point in the there second half he was acting. He was playing as outside half. He was first. He was first receiver and and, and flipping yeah. people off him and everything. Yeah, and there was and, one and moment was when you thing. actually said, was, "How has he got over the there?" That... You remember there was that one moment you said, "How has he got over there?" Like, because is that Parise? Because he just had a tackle somewhere, then forty meters away within yeah. seconds, he was then taking an intercept or something. It was like, how the fuck has he got over there? For a man of, of in his mid thirties, I mean, yes, he does fucking do. It. I'll do it myself too much, and mm. he's obviously a bit of a knob. But fuck me, what a rugby player he is! And, uh, and I mean, Italy's. I mean, it was brilliant. There was a whole Italy rock thing, which was to be honest, just making me laugh for a while. There was the brilliantly shambolic try when Alan, who couldn't kick anything for oh, shit, bounced great. it off the posts, and then and then that was a try. And then there was a brilliant bit when Campagnaro was one-on-one with, uh, well, I can't remember the England fullback's Mike name. Mike Brown. I was thinking Mike Ford. That's not right. Mike Brown. Mike Brown. And did that wonderful uh, out-to-in step on him and just left him on his arse. Oh, it was which a beautiful is, step, wasn't it? He's such a good player, Campagnaro, actually. Watching that game, he's so powerful and muscular and quick. But he's yet- so quick. He- very neat. That Jack Noel's from the try we were talking about earlier where mm. there wasn't an Italy defender on the left down side of the posts mm. he very nearly got to Noel and put him like he did, yeah. if he'd had a quarter like half a step more he would somehow have got across and, and he, in the end he made Noel dot it down in the corner and I think Farrell just about got the conversion but he very nearly got to him he is so quick off the mark yeah and he's so big what I like he's, about he's um... just everything you want in a 13 what I liked, so he was good. Favaro was very good. The back row, he worked really hard. Yeah. Um, the um, what I like about that game plan he sees, it's quite 
we were saying it's quite obviously a Venter game plan because it's like oh, what, it's, it's a shithouse wind-up of a game plan, isn't it? So you know it's Venter. <laughs> yeah. I like to imagine... A mission he wo- accomplished because I, he wound yeah, up an exactly. entire nation. I like to imagine he woke up in the middle of the night with this idea in his head. You know, like one of those, like, like Paul McCartney did with <laughs> yes. Yesterday. I just woke up with this song in my head. He woke up with that <laughs> and went, yes. And went into training that day, you know, I've got this brilliant idea. It's really going to wind Eddie Jones up. It's bloody great. Let's do this. That is exactly what... And you could tell from the way that he sort of defiantly, in that very Brendan Ventry way that we all remember from Saracens, sort of came out on Twitter after the game and was basically just middle fingers in the air. Well, he had those tweets in his draft folder, didn't he? Absolutely. Ready for two minutes after... after, after That's what he did last night. He was composing a series (laughs) of tweets to send out to the... Infuriated English press after the game, but yeah, oh. it was um, it was it was it was an interesting old day, and uh, and and actually, I was from an English point of view, we got a bonus point win. What are we complaining about? Yeah. It took yeah. us too long to work it out. Everybody fucking calm down. Italy probably can't, <laughs> and now people will plan to how to deal with it. It won't fucking ruin rugby. Seriously, no. Next uh, week, if it, I mean, if I was Scotland, the very first thing I would do is. <laughs> not commit to the first couple of rucks just yeah. to see what happens. Just yeah. just to be dickheads about it. But yeah, if, yeah. it's not going to work next it week. It was better for me because I got the outcome I wanted and it was better than just watching us run through a training park exercise for 60-odd points. No, you know, that, I mean, teaches, we, that, that will teach I, them more than running th- than having Elliot Daly running, running a hat-trick in. Absolutely. And, you know, no, they, they have learned that any level of sort of overconfidence that they might have had about how rock solid they are as a team is probably shaken right now and that's not a bad thing as far as England's development goes I would say Absolutely um, Right well while we're talking about Twickenham and England and while we were there um, we had a chat with Billy Vanapola didn't we? Yes yeah. so the reason that you and I were, were actually down at Twickenham on Saturday was to, uh, to cover the 2017 CBRE Canterbury All Schools shirt reveal now which is a very big mouthful. But actually, yes, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that we have very little time for bullshit and very little time for PR nonsense either. However, um, I, I think you probably agree with me in saying that the All Schools Initiative is actually a really, really good and worthy thing that Absolutely. the RFU well, you and Canterbury have been doing yeah, for the last few years. You mentioned a few months ago you'd gone to this thing where kids had designed their own rugby shirt and I went, all right, okay, but not really, not really grasping what it was all about. It's yeah. only when I got there on so, the day I realised what it was about. Yeah, so basically they select 500 schools every year that don't currently play rugby union and encourage the kids and the teachers to get into the game by giving them coaching in the basics of the game and most importantly and notably getting the pupils to design their school's unique kit, um, which they then make for them. And on Sunday, representatives from all the schools came down to Twickenham and they collected their kit. Um, mm-hmm. They wore it on the pitch before the game during the anthems. You may have and seen that, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, obviously, yes, it's nice PR for Canterbury and for the RFU, of course, but it's doing something that's undeniably a good thing. You know, it's trying to get kids engaged with rugby yeah. both on and off the it's field. Giving, and I'm, I'm a school governor, believe it or not, in my spare time. I know how fucking skint schools are. So yeah. actually to be given a load of sports kit of a decent quality 
is actually yeah, quite a godsend actually it's good quality you know it is basically the, it's their team wear stuff so it is rock solid quality and let's be honest we were looking around there were some fucking good designs on show there were some crap there were some howlers i'll be honest there were some, there howlers, were some bless very them. bad ones but there were some genuinely most of the good ones, good there, was ones. A, there was a theme most of the good ones were ones that had some kind of gigantic wolf type thing or, or a stag or something yeah if you've got an animal mascot you lucked out basically absolutely oh no is it everywhere no sure stay and sort that out we can have dinner another time amazing whether it's cancelled plans ah, to get in the kitchen and calm down or the need for a quick convenient distraction introducing goodfellas mini pizzas four mini pizzas made with respect that cook in 11 minutes goodfellas minis embrace the unexpected when we talk about quitting smoking... When my first child was born, for them... Obviously money. We talk about why so much. Health for myself. My family. I'm a mom. It becomes part of the habit. The smell of my clothes. You've already talked about why you want to quit. So let's start talking about how. If you stop smoking for 28 days, you're five times more likely to quit for good. For tips, tools and real support, visit quit.ie or free phone 1-800-201-203 and make the next stop your last stop. From the HSE. Yes, um, and if that wasn't enough, the boys and girls also got a chance to meet England's Billy Vunapola, and so did we. Yes. Um, but Canterbury actually let us sit down for with Big Billy. I say Big Billy. He was actually I was actually surprised at how not massive he is. I mean, he's not a small lad. No, no, definitely not. But but yes, he's not as quite as incredibly massively statuesque as I thought. He. No. Um, yeah. So we had a chat with him. Well, you can have a listen to it now, but the thing to, we were recording, there was no room for us to go in, we were recording the kind of media area in the corner, so there was a little bit of background noise, and some, you, you might hear the uh, girls aloud, for example, in the background. Yes, Not the, they they weren't there, just yeah, people playing. There, no. So, um, yeah, so here's our chat with Billy, Billy Vinopola. Welcome to the goodandmud.com podcast, nice to see you. Thank you for um, having me. Yeah, no problem. So, um, you're injured at the minute. Yeah. What are you like, injured? Do you struggle? Um, Does, do you take it as it comes? Is it... No, I think I've learned over, well, I'm not even that old, but I've learned over the years that you kind of just have to go with it. Um, there's no point feeling sorry for yourself because it happens, you know, and um, I've actually had a great time. Like being injured, I've, I've had opportunities to do things that maybe I would never have done before because I would never have had the time. Um, I've enjoyed like getting strong and, and fit again. It's been tough, but um, no one said it was going to be easy, so... What have you been up to that you couldn't normally do then? Um. <laughs> <laughs> um I've been socialising well, a lot. You're I've, been to so- share. Yeah. I've been socialising a lot. Um, but the thing is, I've, I've always made sure that it's never hampered um, my recovery yeah, and, yes. and me coming back. And I think the best thing for me is that I'm, I feel like I'm coming back in better shape than, than when I, I left. Speaking of being in better shape, um, what was it like to get 30% fitter in, in a week, as Eddie Jones once claimed that you guys had during the Six Nations? It wasn't easy, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, I think one of our sessions were, we, as forwards, we had a mauling session, so live, and then for some reason it was just stopped, and then we had to line up on the 22 metre line in sprint, and that's all we knew, it was like, just run. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if it was true or not that we got 30% fear, but <laughs> look, I don't know the stats, but yeah. I mean, in a week, I don't think I can get 30% fear, yep. personally. 
Um, but did you feel fitter though? Was it yeah. noticeably harder work than under other coaches? It was, yeah. Um, but do you know what? He prepared us for the weekend, and when the game came, you kind of just you were used to, to feeling like that. Yeah. You were used to feeling tired and, and thinking under pressure. I guess that's what he wanted to, to drill into us. And I'm telling you now, he, he does that very well. In, in the the talk that you give the school kids earlier, you, you described him as the Jedi. Like, the Jedi master, mate. For some reason, he just knows everything. Yeah. Um, he knows if you're not getting enough off the floor quick enough, if you're playing against, I don't know, you could be playing the most randomest team, but he'll be watching. So yeah. you always, 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 always have to be on watch. Um, and you always have to be on your best behaviours because... Eddie will be watching um, and Eddie will if he thinks something's up he'll tell you um, which I really really enjoy about him because yeah. you know where you stand you're either in or you're out and that's that's him so there's no chance when I used to play at a much lower level than you it has to be said if you're at the far end of the tackle drill you could kind of go about 60% but that doesn't happen basically no. you can never slap no, on no, 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 no. not that I want you to as an England fan either, no but it's I know what you mean <laughs> I know what you mean like that's where you get your break but no yeah. you'd uh, you'd probably get you'd get told off 100% and then the, the intensity of training would just turn up because of that as a consequence so Everyone just goes, when we're told to, full on, it's full on. You, you've been a massive part of England's incredible years, you mentioned before. And you mentioned Eddie's a Jedi. What, what's, what's he done specifically for you? I mean, you, you, know, you were a very good player before, but he seems to have taken you to Look, another level in the last 12 months. I think I owe a lot to, obviously, the, the previous coaching staff right. for giving me the opportunity. but um, And also my, my, my team, Saracens, they always supported me through the tough times and the good times but credit must also go to, to Eddie for just for just like not only just giving the whole team a, a certain like air of confidence he's kind of pushed that onto me um, and he's kind of challenged me which to do something that maybe I would never have thought of trying to do before and I'm very thankful that he's done that for me um, and also he's just He's just come in and, and my personality, I, I react to someone who's just come in and, and just back me. You, you come across as an incredibly easygoing bloke and yet you've got to psych yourself out to go and want to, you know, smash people, not to, you know, you want to hurt people out there. I think, it's yeah, for me so. that's that's the easy part. Yeah. Like, I, I can do that easy. You know, switch between. So. Well, it's like, would you want some? It's like when you play a game of FIFA. Why do you get angry over a game of FIFA? It's because you lose. <laughs> yeah. I don't like losing, so... <laughs> You've probably been asked this a million times. There's a very famous photo of you when you're under 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enormous. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you about that again. It's more about, as a younger player that was that big, when did rugby start to get difficult for you? Was it easy then? Did you have to learn more skills then? Did you? Um, I was very lucky because, obviously, it's well documented that we grew up with Toby. Yeah. Me, Toby, Mac, uh, Toby's brother, and two of my other cousins. and. We used to do so much like just playing around in the back garden and that's why I said to the kids then that you just have to enjoy it. Because there were a lot of times where dad used to make us run and I was like, <laughs> I don't think I want to play rugby. This is boring, like I'm not made for running, but I found it easy like I found it hard playing with the small kids because they're always much faster, much fitter. But when I got the ball they knew I got the ball. <laughs> so I think the game got better when I got older. It got harder, but I became fitter, so it became uh, much more bearable. Yeah. 
um, but it was as a young young kid it was very easy and but in terms of skills we did so much we used to go goal kicking like <laughs> me like that now when he goes yeah. shocking <laughs> but I don't need to learn that but that's what we just used to do whatever you know whatever was fun so they made you still do the drills and the skills even, yeah. though, you were, yeah. even though you could just be given the ball yeah. and run through and, and I would like to think that my skill set is, is okay yeah. oh of course it is yeah, yeah. It's, it's always tempting when somebody's small and big to exactly it, it is yeah. but that's where I was lucky that I actually loved the game like I grew up like sleeping with the rugby ball and all that um, like kids here do with, with football maybe um, you're obviously injured at the minute, you've missed out on this tournament, but what do you think of England's Grand Slam chances this year? 1-2, it's Italy today, we should beat Italy. Look, the goal is, and the only focus, knowing Eddie and, and knowing the, his mindset, is Italy, and that's it. Right. I think he's already come out and said that they want to win it, but the most important get game and most important thing right now is Italy. How do you do, uh, as a professional sportsman, how do you separate all of that noise that is caught, particularly around England you know as soon as England start winning a couple of games it's we're going to win yeah. the World Cup we're going to win the Grand Slam, whatever how as you as a player do you just kind of switch that off and just go well just Josh win. is Welsh by yeah, the way this is, why, this is yeah. why he's I don't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> winning he doesn't understand yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense to me. yeah how do you how do you tune all that shit out and just go no I'm just focusing on beating Italy which you know most people would take for granted yeah. obviously I think that's that's probably the mindset that got us in trouble before yeah. and it is hard it is hard not to start thinking oh if we beat Italy we've got Scotland at home um, and then and then you think we just have to go to Ireland and yeah. win yeah. it doesn't work like that yeah. like you, Ireland are a different breed in itself they're, they're a great team but you can't forget Scotland yeah. who are doing unbelievably well at the moment but then like you just have to be humble about everything and just go look let's that's how you, you just have to bring it back so it is very tough yeah. don't get me wrong last year I was so scared for that French game I was like oh my gosh we could win a Grand Slam you know <laughs> yeah. and that's probably why we played like that for yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. Yeah. but you have to you just have to kind of keep reminding yourself that um, we play okay this week we'll see where we go yeah. and to be fair the, the, the thing I worry the most is when I'm in camp is how hard is this session going to be <laughs> am I going to be okay after and yeah. then I can think yeah. about like going to sleep having food because yeah. that's how hard training is it's been an amazing year for England is the one game that stands out for you in particular for me I think that that last last Australian test mm -hmm. because Eddie set us a challenge before we got on the plane and a lot of the boys were tired, but we managed to turn up for the first game. We did it. We did unbelievably well for the second game, and then the third one was. I think we shocked ourselves by how intense we were and, and how much we wanted it. But that's that's where we wanted to get to. That's where we talked about getting to number one. You have to pitch up consistently, and that was a great game because a lot of boys were tired in that game, but they still managed to pull through. Now the Lions are coming up in the summer. You've not been on a Lions tour. No. Is it? Is it, was that something you've always thought about as a youngster? Is it always something that's in your mind as a professional player? I think, like the media training answer to this would be like, oh, I'm not thinking about Lions. Da, 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 da. <laughs> but that's probably not true for every single person who plays 
for the British and, and Irish uh, teams within the Six Nations, of course you're thinking about it, but you also, like I said before, you have to be very careful because there's so many games between now and then. And look, I have as much aspirations as the next guy, you know, um, but I'm nowhere closer to getting in the squad as a, I don't know, any other player because we don't know. So for me, it's firstly trying to get fit. This is the media training yeah. bit I'm giving you. Yeah. <laughs> getting fit, playing for Saris if they pick me, same for England, and then we'll see where we go. I think if you fit, you'll be going. That's just me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't say that. But. Yeah, I know you didn't. <laughs> I'll say it for you. Yeah. Thank you. But from a, a general sort of getting back to fitness point of view, then obviously you've missed six nations you know you must be chopping the bit to kind of get out there at Ireland does that kind of does that add a little bit of extra motivation and a bit of desperation for you when you know if you do make it back in time for the Ireland game or whatever to just get out there and sort of show Warren Gatland you know that you are fit and ready to go and raring to, to get on that plane I guess part of my thinking is that there's a lot of pressure on I put on myself to, to prove that I am like good enough to, to compete with everyone else but also I have to be careful that I don't go out and, and make stupid mistakes and, and silly mistakes. I think for me, the most important thing is, if I do come back, is, is just do my job. Just do what I did um, consistently last year and, and try and be consistent, and that's the biggest thing. But also, like, you can't control whether I come back or not. And I think for me, this, this three-month period where I've been out has been a blessing in disguise because it's given me time to just rest um, my body and like I'm so excited to, to come back whenever that may be like it's I've never I haven't had this feeling for a while so I'm so excited you talk about sort of doing your job there like as an outsider watching England over the last 12 months like a lot of the difference between England over the last 12 months and England sort of pre-Eddie Jones does seem to be that you kind of you have that system now that even when it's not all clicking as it hasn't as done there's been a couple of occasions where England haven't played that well yeah. but you still you sort of, you, you seem to get the process and get the system enough that you know that if you just do your job then you'll be fine you'll be fine yeah Is and that's that how we train and that's honestly how we train like we could train on Tuesday and have the worst training session but you take the learning from it and that's where you kind of implement the game so you go into the game and think, right, if we fall into this situation, trust me, we have enough meetings to know this. If we fall into a certain situation that we know how to get out of it, or what would be our play. And that's why, like, before the Six Nations, everyone was like, oh, what about with all these injuries? And I said that the team will be fine because of how good they, of how well they train and how well they prepare. And it's, it's been true, you know, they've played two tough games and they've pulled through just because of, they've just stuck to their jobs. Yeah. They've just stuck to it. Like, they never got flustered, the boys never got flustered, um, and that's the key to it, and it's all from the training. Yeah, and then you compare that sort of, particularly with how they were, you know, maybe 12 months before, where you could see that there was that definite, like, there were situations where you did look flustered. Yeah. And is that literally just how relentless that's exactly what yeah. I was going to say. Well, yeah. If you think about, say, this Italy game, how many people in the media were saying there's going to be five or six changes? 
Yeah. So Eddie's just gone with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Five or six changes. <laughs> he changed two people or one to spend Tio. Yeah. Because he wants to win. Yeah. <laughs> and not only that, or he's changed two people, it's just because he likes his team to be consistent and he wants the team to kind of build not just for next week and and um, the week after but towards a bigger goal which is obviously Japan but also he doesn't want to rest up like I you know that um, I went into camp last week this week sorry and the hardest session they've had all all camp was the Tuesday after Wales yeah that just sums him up like you, you can never think oh we're in the clear and that's good because every game's treated the same and you just go out and do your job and is, is more he, often than not you'll be fine is he sometimes you mentioned that he's, he knows he's done something wrong with stuff as a motivator is he is he more of a I'm watching you and you better not slack off or is he a kind of arm around the shoulder every, he he's got everything because he's got the yeah. whole bit he, um, it depends who you are and for me um, I think well I don't know how he knew this but he knew that I'd rather have the, the arm around my shoulder you know because it, it kind of works for me and my personality more than you know, oi, do this, <laughs> fatty, or something like that, <laughs> you know. So, and that's another thing that I'm very thankful for is, is how he's, he's kind of treated me and how he's um, helped me. Are you um, are you quite a self-motivated kind of? Some people need a lot of bollockings to get oh, going, don't yeah. they? Are you, are you that kind of person or self-motivated? No, 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 no. <laughs> like I said, like, if there's something to be one, I'm, I'm in it to win it. Yeah. Like if we're doing a morning session, like, and someone steps on my toe, that's it. <laughs> You're into it. <laughs> Talking about um, Saris, then you've obviously got big aspirations again this year. Sort of obviously Saris doing that sort of standard Six Nations thing where they're having a little bit of a wobble yeah. right now. Sort of how is the environment compared to the England environment? Because obviously there's this sort of relentless expectation of excellence in Saris yeah. and with England. Are they similar or are they...? Um, I think at club level you can afford to be much more relaxed because it's every week. Yeah. Whereas England it's it's uh, a short hit and then you're out. Yeah. So it's it's much more relaxed. Um, but it's the same, same ethic like you said. We, we're always pushing towards improvement and we're relentless with it, you know. Um, obviously, we had two weeks where we might have not have got what we wanted out of them, but we learned from them. And like, you have to take that on the chin. It has to like fuel you to become better. Um, and I'm sure it will. But it's a, it's a very like loving, loving environment. We all get along very well. Um, everyone probably says this at other clubs, but for some reason, it's just it's just different. You know, like when things go wrong, we understand why. Um, and we don't complain about it. You just have to get on with it. When you're in training, um, who wins when you're running to Owen Farrell? I never run at him. I, no. He's, Faz is like, so I'm one of those, you know, so NFL terms, uh, you know, the, the big guys at the front, the offensive yeah. line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I put myself in the offensive line and Faz is my quarterback. I would never run at Faz's training, <laughs> or anyone for that sake, but especially Faz. Do you think he could take you though? If you yeah, hundred percent. <laughs> but he's my he's my quarterback. I've got to look after him, and um, he looks after me and the other boys by kicking the goals. And 
you know? I've so told him that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about sort of the environment that you've got at, at Sarri's now, like obviously you guys have brought through some pretty like ridiculously talented players in the last couple of years. Like you've got Mauro, you've got Jamie George, you know, you've got you guys. We've got some good young yeah, kids too, yeah, again. And how do you keep on doing that? What is this production line of just... We sort of joke on the podcast that it's kind of, you know... Like you've got like, a factory somewhere where yeah, you build them yeah. and just bring them out. I, I honestly think it's down to how we treat people. You know, like these these young guys come in um, and they see an Owen Farrell kicking an hour after everyone's gone in. Uh, they see a Maritoge um, doing high balls when, when everyone's walking in. And it's, you, it's, it's people that you can't not approach. It's not like you can go... It's not like you can't go, oh, fans, can you do some kicking? And fans are like, nah go away it's like yeah I've been waiting for you to ask me it's that kind of environment yeah. where everyone's trying to help each other because we're all in the same boat you know yeah. you're um, making life miserable for everybody else though, you know no and we have and we have <laughs> great coaches too who um, who love that word culture but who love what we're about um, and just kind of we just we just live it um, and you have to and I think that's probably the best thing about us is that when, when young kids come in, it's not wash my boots. It's, mate, I've got a spare pair of boots here if you want to go for a kick around. It's one of those ones. Um, and, like, young people flourish when, when you show them love. I think as an academy kid, we're so used to, especially in rugby, like, just pushing them down into the dirt and then <laughs> kicking them. But at Saracens, it's different, like... Um, I've taken a few of the young boys on nights out as well. Like you have to look after them, you know, because when you're the 33-year-old, they're the 25-year-old who's looking after you. <laughs> That's how it works. What do you think it's like to be 33? It's not that. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't think I'll make it there, mate. The way I'm going. So old, 33. Okay, there you go. A genuine, um, genuinely nice guy affable not too you know honest guy not very Mm. um unprepossessing sort of bloke really he differentiated quite clearly between the media training answer and his (laughs) honest opinion which is always refreshing there's a bit a few minutes into it when when that when i asked him uh what you like and you're injured and he said i can do things i didn't want to do and i said well what's that you will notice it's just a pause and then we all piss ourselves laughing. That's because he basically <laughs> stopped and looked mischievously left to his agent in the kind of, what am I allowed to say here? And then obviously just summarised it with socialising. So Yes. Um, he uh, he revealed to the kids beforehand that he had had something of a late night to the night before. So um, Yeah, 4.30am, I think he said he got in the night. I believe before. that was it, yes. There was like, yeah, some some kids left left at 3.30am to get to Twickenham yesterday, and his response was, yes, I went to bed at 4.30. Yes, and, I was uh, on my 13th pint at that point, but yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, who can say? But yeah. uh, yes, he was uh, a very... Very nice man. Nice guy. I know that came across because he was. Um, right, moving on. Let's talk about... Um, oh, let's cheer yourself to. up, shall we? With a, let's talk about Scotland-Wales. Is it going to be massively disingenuous if I start off by not talking about why Scotland won, but more about why <laughs> Wales lost? <laughs> well, wh- why change a habit of a lifetime, Josh? Well, let's exactly. just settle in. I mean, Scotland deserves massive credit for how they play, particularly in the second half on Sunday. But the truth of the matter is that they owed 
a lot of that win to Wales's utter profligacy and attack more than anything else. Jesus, like Jiffy brought actually brought like Jiffy brought stats before the game on Saturday. That's how bad things have got. <laughs> Jiffy came armed with statistics. Jiffy's from done Ofta. some research. Fuck me, that must be serious. But yeah, they were about how many possessions the four home nations had for each try they scored and also how many rucks in the opposition 22 they'd had between each of them and fucking hell. Stats on everything I know, but they make hideous reading for a Wales fan. Like average, The most efficient team in terms of rucks in the opposition 22 since last six nations um, hmm. has unsurprisingly been England, yeah. who score once every 21.8 rucks, I think. Um, Sounds Wales, about right, yeah. Yeah, Wales, 51.6. So that is more than double. And um, it's 14 more rucks worse than Scotland, who are the the next worst after them. But the real killer, the possession stats, right? Ireland and England score a try every 11 possessions of the ball, Hmm. roughly. Scotland, every 15. Wales, 23. Like, combine those two statistics, and you can see not only are Wales struggling to score tries full stop, but they're just hopeless at carving out openings and showing patience with the ball in the opposition 22. And that is what Scotland did so well on Saturday. Yeah. They were patient with it. And they didn't. They never panic when they've got the ball in the opposition 22. They stick to their pattern. They continue to probe. They don't just fucking smash against... You can't defend against well, Wales the team. Stick, well, to be fair, Wales stick to their pattern, which is a straight well, line. Well, exactly. But Scotland's pattern has variation and it's probing and it's yeah. look and nobody can defend forever against an attack that is constantly att- trying to change the angle of the yeah, attack. If it and changes the, change point the point of the attack, of the attack. yeah, absolutely. But you can defend forever against a team that's devoid of any ideas in an attacking sense, and that's basically what Scotland did, where Wales just bluntly and uninventively smashed themselves against willing tacklers with not an ounce of guile or creativity. Scotland were just like, yes, please. And uh, I don't want to talk about it anymore, to be honest. I'm fucking bored. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm worn so out. bored of this conversation. There's nothing more you there can we say. Go. Let's, um, Wales actually did all right in the first half for a bit. They, were, they, they did all right on the they, deck they did all right. and they did all right defensively. They were still well, you know what changed the game, don't happened. you? When the universe well, yeah, righted itself and Hamish Watson came back on again. Sorry, John, mm. that you're injured, mate. But, you know, the universe corrected itself when Hamish Watson came on. And no, also, did, yeah. Finn Russell was... didn't have a meltdown. That helps. I think there's a lot to be well, said. Yeah. I think this was we've said before. And I think this, there was a lot to be said about the fact, and I said this in the midweek. You know, who's going to tell Finn Russell what to do now? Now Leib was injured, and somebody said to me, mm. "Well," and somebody on Twitter said, "Yeah, well, he's going to have his club mate with him, isn't he?" It's come after. Yeah. So, well, evidence has not been that good. But actually, yeah, I think Russell did genuinely step up. Absolutely so. And actually, and actually came Certainly. and did the job. Yeah. In a, in a goal-kicking sense, I mean, who on earth would have picked him to be seven of seven? Yes. From, you know, let's not forget. And he's, he's such a joy to Scotland watch. He has that great big beaming smile on his face all the time as well. And also, let's, like, not, his creative play is always good. You know, he passes so, like, mm. he has a lovely flat pass. He runs well. He kicks with vision. But he scored 19 points off the tee, and Scotland won by 17. And like on a day when Wales were repeatedly turning down shots at goal, like he demonstrated that he can win games for Scotland in a variety of ways. And that's something that I wasn't necessarily expecting from him. And what? it's a real sign that he is making progress into becoming a very, very good scrum half, uh, fly off, I should say. What's interesting is that if you look at Wales, it's like who actually did well for Wales? Liam Williams did. Yeah. 
which you can't argue about. Reese Lowe played pretty well. And Ken Owens, who's just solidly just brilliant every week, isn't he? He's like a workhorse. Really. Yeah. I don't mean that in a negative way. He's a, he's a good player. But um, Reese Webb was at his brilliant, shiny, bellendic best. And, um, <laughs> he was a dickhead at the highest order. Oh, he was, was yeah. But beyond that, I've come to the conclusion, and I said this to you yesterday, and I'm going to say it now, and see if people out there disagree with me. I don't think Dan Biggers a very good fly half these days. Even And even in the England game, not, even in the England game when he played well, he wasn't playing very well as a fly half. If he was a fullback in that game doing what, doing what he was doing, then I could have, then, then yeah. you know, he's doing a lot of stuff, but it's not, he's not putting any, he's got no controlled kicking in terms of territory. He doesn't really put a lot of shape on the attack beyond the, as we've already said, the straight line that's a shape. It was noticeable that when Sam Davis came on, yeah, how straight away that inside pop pass started happening. Yeah. So why weren't the runners doing that off bigger? Is it because they know he's never going to do it anyway, or he's not calling it? Yeah, he wasn't George calling North it. Suddenly, and... George North suddenly appeared in midfield when Sam Davis came on. So yeah. he's obviously calling a move that Bigger's not bothering to call. I mean, North is... You know, well, it's like, he's, he's getting a hard the time, biggest, George North. But... Biggest strength has always been kicking, and, you know, the kick to recover stuff. And obviously he's been told, don't do that as much. And by doing that, it's completely... That made him an effective international fly-off because that was the thing he did. But there's only so much when of that chip and chase thing that. that you could. That's very impressive and is good for highlight reels. But he doesn't even he doesn't, doesn't even do, do any that. Of no, it but even doing that isn't isn't so much. And yeah, I just couldn't. I couldn't understand. It. I mean, and George like he not, stopped. Yeah, he stopped doing that, and he hasn't done anything to replace it. He just aimlessly passes it across the back line, or his or his or his first three steps are left or right, unlike Davis's, yeah. whose first three I mean, steps are forward. I don't know why somebody hasn't identified because it's, I mean, it was obvious that Wales needed new coaches after the World Cup. And mm. instead, now we've got Warren Gatland was given by Roger Lewis one of the richest and most ironclad contracts in world rugby. So Allegedly. So the new, even the new regime have, have had little choice but to give him the assistance that he wanted and let him swan off for a fucking Lions tour and all this sort of shit. And because sacking him before 2019 is going to probably put the WRU in financial shit again. And you and he feels now like there are two tiers of rugby emerging in the higher echelons of the international game. You've got the top teams that are progressing and they're moving the game on and they're developing their style. And, you know, you've got the All Blacks, you've got England, Ireland, Australia, Argentina, Scotland. Hmm. And then you've got teams that are just wasting their talent and their resources with bad coaches and bad tactics. And you've got South Africa, you've got France, you've got Italy, and of course you've got Wales. Hmm. And I think for the first time in a long time, Saturday, I, kind, I genuinely sat down and just thought, there's not going to be anything really to cheer in the way of cheer for Wales fans, certainly in the next two years. Like They might get the odd big result here or there, they might beat England like they occasionally do. They might, you know, catch a Southern Hemisphere team unawares. But the pattern of stagnation and regression has been set for years now. And it's only going to get worse. Progressive teams like England and the All Blacks and Scotland and Ireland move on. Hmm. On after 2019. I, I'm, you look at it now and you just think Wales are probably going to be in as worse a state as they've been since the 90s because he's not going to change his style. 
he's not going to change his assistance. If he was going to do that, he would have by now because the evidence is overwhelming. And so every game that we play for the next two or three years is going to be falling behind, is stagnating. And it could, it could well take another decade for Wales to catch up if we ever can. And it's a very, very depressing thing to think about as a Wales fan, but... <laughs> Yeah. You honestly look at it and you just think, where where is the change coming from? Where is well, the, you could, you could, the new well, impetus coming from? You could, you could argue there's going to be some change. Ashley Beck will be an international player at some point. Keelan Giles will at some point. Uh, Ollie Cracknell will at some point. And you have to think that that will bring something. Ashley Beck's a completely different centre to what you've got now, I would argue. Yeah. Um, but we've got but, talented but, players at the moment. So but, we have yeah, had it for comes a while back to the point misused. that if you just simply shuffle the... Um, Chairs without changing who's driving the yeah, well, look ship. Yeah, well, look at Scott Williams is playing 12 and he's being asked to do what Jamie Roberts did. The funniest with thing occasion- I've... With occasional passing. Well, the funniest things on Saturday was when Jamie Roberts came off the bench to do his magic impact mystery. <laughs> and he come herring in on one of his angles, caught it and tried to do some kind of one-handed round-the-head pass, which kind of flew miles behind Bounced everybody. someone's head, yeah. Poor bugger. Feel sorry for him actually. It's like go on there and do something with that, Jamie. He's like, what the fucking hell do you want me to do with this exactly? <laughs> exactly. I mean, Jamie Roberts' career as an international should now be over, unless in case of injuries. You know, he should not be in the match day 22, 23, I should say. Yeah. And that, it's it speaks yeah. volumes to Howley's complete lack of thinking in any kind yeah. of. And it's it was it was notable. It was is. notable to see the way that the Scottish midfield, Dunbar and Jones. Just those little sparks, one yeah. individually, and also the way in which the Scottish game plan crafts those openings yeah. for them. Because I don't think it's particularly a case that either of the Welsh centres are playing that badly. No, I don't no, think no, Scott no. Williams is playing no. that badly. I don't think John Davis is playing that badly. I just think they're not being allowed to express themselves in any way. In any way whatsoever. Um, so on we march. Scotland got to go yes. to Twickenham next. To Yeah, fantastic with Scotland though. And I, I think... Unless England rapidly improve themselves, which I'm sure they probably will, to be honest, in the next fortnight, Scotland can go there and think, "Yeah, we we fancy this." I think and, I, I think they've got a chance, but I don't think they're going to win. I don't think they win either, but I think they will have enough to make it an absolutely cracking game, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, the other big tournament that's going on right now is our Super Brew uh, Fantasy League. Yes, and I've well, had a good week. I've had a good week. Oh, good I'm, for you. I'm up, to, I'm up to 55th of 146. Really? Wow. I haven't actually... Ch- Basically, when I decided that, given that it was going to be an obvious hammering um, to put Johnny May in... Um, and who did you well, take out for Johnny May? Remind me. I, I believe I took Jack Noel out, who <laughs> done fuck all in the first few weeks. Um, oh, it's so cruel, re- isn't it? Yes, so uh, Johnny May gave me a grand total of, I don't even know, fucking no points whatsoever, the absolute useless bell end. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, and I also had Owen Farrell as my goal kicker, which... I had Farrell as my goal kicker, yeah. Brilliant idea. I did well, because I think I had Elliot Daly as my captain, so I, I actually got about 30-odd oh. points. Um, yeah, Hulk was my captain, and he didn't do anything statistically relevant. No, um, he was very good, but he didn't do anything statistically relevant for fantasy. For fantasy trophy, though. Jesus oh, Christ. Yeah. Um, 
But with, with yes. him and Webb on the field, there was a high concentration of Bellendry going on, wasn't there? There and was. Bigger people, as well. I'd like to say, people have complained, have complained a lot about Wales players constantly moaning and asking for things. Are they watching the rest of rugby? Because <laughs> everyone does it all the fucking time. They're having a go at the Welsh and, again, Josh. That's what it is. But people well, are always getting it's at just you. Like, I, know, I know that Dan Bigger has a reputation for it, but... Look He's around. got a reputation for it because he actually does it. But yes, yeah, I take he does your it all, point. No, he all does it time. all the fucking time. But so but does he everybody else. Slag one off and slag the other off. Yeah, yeah. To go back to Superbrew, then uh, we do have Superbrew.com. If you've not joined already, you can join now and kind of lump yourself yes, into our pool, which is the bloodandmud.com uh, pool. I'm on level there. with you. Nobody's that good, so um, just crack on. You you could well come in with three rounds to go if you and be good and win. You could, yeah. So the top top now moving up four places is Joe Taring, the Wayward Porcupines with 608 points. That's a good name. Like uh, after their magnificent move up the league uh, last year, last week, the determined zealots have held third place, I think. Oh, fair play. Um, the pushy ostriches are in second. That's uh, Pocock is their team captain. The monumental yeah. goldfinches... <laughs> Which is a great with a, name. Is their player named Sexton's injured? Well, he's not. He's not, Incorrect. no. Incorrect. Incorrect. Not only is he not injured, he's kicking drop goals. More of that yes, later. Yes, we'll come on to that, yes. So there you go. So I'm in 55th. I'm still, on, I'm still not on the first page. Uh, which sounds I've a little dropped. bit like this pod on the iTunes charts. <laughs> yeah, close, but no, no cigar. <laughs> close, but no cigar. So yeah, so there you go. Thank you. We will obviously only got a couple of weeks ago now, so keep working oh, no. and selecting, and we'll have a few prizes that we can give out. I saw the money... The shirt, the money can't buy rugby shirt. Watch design Canterbury shirt yesterday. Indeed. Believe me, it's well worth winning. It's, uh, it's, I, if I do you know, say so myself, you'll always need something to wash the car. You'll always need something to wash the car in. So exactly. <laughs> um, so let's talk briefly about Ireland France. Now, I said about this when it finished, and I've still haven't changed my view that this film was a bit like a Coen Brothers movie. Topical, but it'd be an Oscars week. In that it had an interesting premise and a good cast, but then it drifted <laughs> a bit and lasted far too long. And in the end, I was probably a bit bored. And disenchanted. Yeah. I mean, it was especially the second half. It was dreadful. Let's be honest. And utterly awful. France, France were really bad. It was a like, terrible. That- it was a terrible cocktail of France being a completely rudderless mess, which they continue to be, versus yes. Ireland with Murray driving the biggest, most competent rudder you've ever seen. Which sounds yes. rude. And, but and, it's not rude. And the rain. And it fucking it down. And the rain. But Conor Murray did just gave an absolute masterclass in how to run a game from oh, nine in that second half. The very the very notion that anybody that isn't Conor Murray and Reese Webb are gonna be your two match day Lions scrum halves is a hilarious joke. Because they are head and shoulders above everybody else in yes, terms they of are. this tournament. Yes, they are. And, uh, and they're very different as well, which is a nice Mix. France have um, yeah. France have a problem. France started quite well. They did, though. but they only start well in that there's only so long you can go doing that. Just let's keep shuffling it around, and everyone looks all right until actually in the end, everyone realizes you've got no pattern, and everyone gets tired, and there's fuck all you can do with it. Also, yeah, the skill, a, that the skill break levels. from Baptiste Serin was probably the highlight, wasn't it? Yeah, and he did a the whole game. Well, of course it was because anything when he's on the camera is a highlight for me. But it's well, exactly. uh, but they. <laughs> Their skill levels look low to me. They don't pass well. They don't, you know, nothing's no. like on the money. Nothing's, every pass isn't quite out in front of people. You know, it's just just these little things are no good. That alloyed with the fact that they just seem to go, yeah, you have a go with it. Yeah, you have a go with it. Oh, I'm going to let you have a go with it, which is basically just what their entire uh, 
attacking or any kind of game plan seems to be really well, that's that's why Vakatawa has been such a <laughs> yeah because yeah popular person yeah because when you say to France. him here have a go with that he'll do something that actually does yeah, something <laughs> because he actually has skills and he actually has instinct and he has you know he has a natural feel for the game like in Wales there's a lot of criticism about how in the Gatland era players are picked for size before skill hmm. but I think that there's an even bigger problem with that in France. You mm. know, they are obsessed with fucking gym monkeys and big lads who look intimidating. But there is no real thought to conditioning, for one. Fuck me. They are <laughs> hilariously unfit. And skills, basic skills, basic tactical awareness, basic pattern. Yeah. They don't seem to have any of it. No, and it's just, and that was what was so depressing about the game in the end. It was just so. That's why it became it became so awful to watch because they yeah. weren't doing anything. It was just all sideways and depressing. I mean, if, when Spedding is your biggest attacking bright spark in the oh, second half, you know there's something seriously fucking wrong, don't you? And um, yeah. And Ireland just kept doing what they were doing. Everyone looked fairly yeah, competent. Yeah, Ireland kind of knew that they were basically just holding France at arm's length, and every time France looked a little bit, hmm. you know, every time they closed the gap, Ireland just sort of shifted from you know fourth to third why has nobody and worked out that johnny sexton does that pass and run around thing i don't know but it's he's like, really good yeah, at it. just just why is no defensive pattern going yeah just let him do that pass we'll just stand yeah. here because he's, he's coming around he's coming have 60 meters as a result i'm just yeah. going to move left because he's coming around here to get the ball now isn't he you know <laughs> just don't bother no, 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 he's not. Oh. Or, or just yeah. well why have they figured out so, so don't bother defending that channel because yeah, he's going to come fine. round he's here. So we'll, over there. We'll, yeah, all obviously. three of us will just yeah. stand here while he'll wait till he comes round. <laughs> no, no because, because, good, because good fast players make defences look bad. Basically, that, that, yeah. Basically. But would you believe this was Ireland's biggest win over France since uh, 2011? Ten points. Wow. Which, which, given how shit France have been since 2011, is quite remarkable, to be that honest. That is quite remarkable. That is quite yeah. remarkable. Somebody, Adam Reese on Twitter did say, sorry to go back to Wales a minute, that Scotland haven't beaten Wales since Chris Chekai was in the team. <laughs> That's how bad it is. Chris Chekai, you remember him? Ugh. How the hell did he I get mean, a cap? There's what we can have for a feature at some point. True that. Uh, yeah, so I'm not sure as much else to say about that, really. Uh, no, it was a dross game, and if you really want to analyse it in detail um, go somewhere else <laughs> that's going to be the new strap line for this pod if you want to analyse in detail go somewhere else um, um, right yeah so let's do the shit good ratings shall we yes shall we start with um, something that isn't a shit good rating but is very important to the oh yes shit good go on and that is, of course, Shitwatch. Which, oh, of course, yeah. given that the Pro 12 was playing this weekend, as was the Premiership, um, it does mean that Chiriso got another chance to uh, lose a game, which they took. Um, <laughs> they... It's been 52 days now since they took possession of the Cuthbert Police on Cup, and with just six games left in the season, I don't hold mm. much hope that they're going to get a shot of it until that fateful final game away to Zebra. Um, oh, is that the final 34- game? Yep, they're away oh. to Zebra, who may well not exist next season. And then we it's, have to decide massive... what we want to do with the Cuthbert Police on Cup at that point, if that happens. Well, yeah, if they, if Zebra ceased... I mean, that is the ultimate shit watch, isn't it? Isn't it, it just... Is... That would bring it to a very poetic end, it must say. In many in many ways, it would. I you wouldn't know. want it to Ceasing end, though, to so... exist is so... the ultimate losing. <laughs> yeah. You're so bad, yet... you've caused this feature to end. 
<laughs> so, uh, but so, yes, they got dicked thirty-four nineteen at home to Connacht. Um, that's actually probably quite a good performance by their standards. Let's be honest; they yeah, scored nineteen points. The um, but, um, but we'd like some suggestions yeah. from you. Should it end up dying with Zebrin of the season? Should we call it a day, or do you give us a suggestion of what you might think yeah. we should do, do with in it? Jules Ramey style. Should we uh, forge a new trophy and begin shit watch yeah. again out of the fire of Mordor and then uh, carry on? <laughs> Yeah, so shit, watch 52 days, it rumbles on. We think it's going down to the last game of the season for the most, you oh, know. Yes. Oh, it's going to be tense again. It, again, it was so it tense last tense. year as well. Um, oh. Right, shit, good ratings. Mm. Let's start with some good stuff. Um, sorry to rub this in about your team losing again, Josh, but Scotland women won for the first time in seven years this weekend. I thought that was I like, good. I can't really hold that against them, to be honest. I mean, No. Well, what? why would you? Yeah. But yes, fair dues to them, well done to them. Anything mm-hmm. from you? Uh, on the good side, um, big Gavin Henson. <laughs> super, 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 super Gav. fucking Gav. Super Gavin Back Henson. in the shit. Back showing lovely. We watched a little bit of it. We did. We had a bit of time waiting. to kill, didn't we? We had. A, we yeah. watched a bit of it. And uh, lovely little touches and passes. Back smashing. Oh, he did, he did a beautiful left hand no look pop pass. Oh, that was at lovely. And point. For no particular reason, it wasn't clear. even needed. He just did it. <laughs> Yeah, just did it because he had those huge clearing kicks yeah, from everywhere. God, absolute boomers, uh, aren't they? Yeah, and he was guiding Bristol there. He was guiding Bristol to their first win over Bath in a decade. And Bristol are off to Worcester next week. And um, once again, it feels like there's a bit of life in this relegation battle. I did not see that coming. Fair but play. If, well, if Super Gav continues in the 10 shirt. Well, exactly. And Speaking it- of good th- things that have come back from the dead this week. <laughs> The motherfuckers and Gav had a huge hand in this. The motherfucking drop goal. Yeah, it's been a, oh, it's been an orgy three, of them. Three notable drop goals this weekend. One from Tommy Allen for Italy, which ultimately didn't make any difference. Obviously, well, the way was he, that was still, even more remarkable, given the way that he was kicking well, like his boot was he made. Tried, from t- he should have done all the conversions, drop kicks. He should have done, yeah, because he's better at that. Other than, than that, it was like he had a Toblerone on his shoe. But um, the <laughs> the um, yeah. And, they had that monster one from near halfway from Gav by Gav from Bristol, and he very nearly put over a second one just to rub it in. And Johnny and uh, um, and Johnny Sexton boomed one well, over was, as well. That was probably the pick of the bunch, wasn't it? Because I mean, that was the ten meter line, and it was wide to the left, yeah. and he just smashed it. And then when he turned around and ran back after he'd done it, he was literally pumping both his fists as he was running back, <laughs> probably thinking, you know, that was actually probably thinking, weird... I, can't, I can't wait to listen to Blood and Mud on Monday on Tuesday morning. <laughs> that showed him. This shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but you know that. I, I mean, that was a beautifully struck got drop goal from Sexton. That was actually Ireland's first Six Nations drop goal in six years. When was the last one? Was it was it O'Gara versus Wales? It probably was. Yeah, that was O'Gara, something was like that. Fucking hell! But yeah, it's back. It's back. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking so. Don't do too many though, because then it'll become shit again. You have to get the perfect yeah, amount. Yeah, you can't be overloaded with it. Italy's new. Um, Inventive defensive thing is great. Yeah. But we don't want everybody to do it all the time because it might get a bit boring. It will. Drop goals are great, but let's not get Wilkinson in 2003 on them, okay? Yeah, good. Uh, Fraser Stewart got in touch and said that Finn's bandage being tightened up properly so his brain didn't fall out. Like he normally <laughs> does. Yes, very good, Fraser Stewart. Also, and this is true, this. I've never noticed this. Fraser, put, Fraser Stewart on Twitter at Blood and Mud pointed this out, saying, Ali Price is somehow always immaculate hair. That is true. His it's hair got, does not move. I love in the uh, Reese Webb. I, I don't know whether there's like some sort of scrum half <laughs> hair product, 
But is it like a Lego? Is it like a helmet? I don't. Yeah, it's like it's it's like immaculately messy and spiky, and yet they've been fucking playing rugby in the rain for eighty minutes. It's like, how, what are you using on there? Is it like crafted from like some sort of elven shit? What's that stuff they keep talking about? That's like an amazing new metal. Like a carbon thing that's going to solve all the problems in the world. I can't remember what it's oh, called. Oh, that now, thing. But... Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. Maybe it's that. <laughs> Maybe it's that. That thing that we can't remember what it's called, and you probably don't yes. know what we're talking about. Well, it's some that sort thing. of like carbon nanotube or something. It's something like that, know. yeah. Um, Robbie Alexander on Twitter said as well, good for him, question mark. In nine games so far in the six stations, there's only been three yellow cards. There's been no high tackle problems at all. The three cards have been um, Ryan for collapsing the mall, Johnny May for that leg lift. Mm. And Lavotti for driving in at the scrum. That's interesting. And, we did and say I level with you. Yeah. There have been a lot of moments where I've thought that should be a yellow card now, in terms of high tackles, and it almost seems like refs have wantonly just ignored it. Yeah, they seem to be wantonly ignoring a lot of things. It's almost like we'll just let it go on. Well, I kind of yeah. I think I said that on Twitter on the weekend, isn't it? It's basically like the ref. Just as long as the game is moving, who gives a shit appears yeah. to... Uh, they've basically all taken a leaf out of the Nigel Owens book. Yeah. Just let let everything go and enjoy it. And Johnny Lacey did a bit of that as well, didn't he, in the Scotland game? Oh, he definitely did, yeah. But, you know, he's equally he's equally incompetent to everyone, I think, Johnny Oh, Lacey, no, yeah, that, I, mean, I wasn't implying any bias at all. He is... Yeah. Everyone was getting away with everything. And it was quite entertaining, but slightly frustrating as well. Yeah, so... Other things for me... Um, the Scarlets, because under the radar this weekend, um, how many teams win away at Thoman Park these days? True, because the Scarlets did, even without their match, you know, even without their internationals. Munster have got a hugely deep squad, and the Turks went over there and blitzed them. They scored three tries in five minutes to come from like nineteen three down, I think. That and young the halfback game. pairing looks very handy. But I think Dan with- Jones will go on tour in the summer with Wales somehow. Mm. It'll be. Interesting to see um, his development alongside Sam Davis and alongside Owen Williams. But yeah, he was very good. And yeah, quietly, the Scarlets are recovering from their early season eh, and they're building towards the playoffs, let's face it. so Good for me. Hamish Watson's nostril evacuation of victory. <laughs> that is that the final ideal way bo- to celebrate That final ball win. steal when everyone was cheering, he simply stood up and cleared his nostrils out on live television. Look, priorities. That's what life it's, is all I about. Just, you know? I don't think. I reckon him and Baptiste are like the yin and yang of my love spectrum, basically. <laughs> they they're, do they're opposite two ends. Very different and yeah, I love them both they? equally. I just simply don't know what to who to choose. Um, <laughs> Liam Williams is very good. I've already mentioned that. Now, this got me to thinking. Miles Harrison talked about um, strength, about how strong he is. And loads of. Mm. And there was. And they were. In the Island France game, they were banging on and on about Sean O'Brien's farmer strength. Which really annoys yeah. me because I can understand if you've got farmers and if you're playing in Division Three in South Wales or in the Provincial Irish League, when actually you work as mm. a farmer, therefore you're naturally very strong compared to somebody who sits being an accountant all day and goes to the gym. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas he, they are all professional athletes that are strength-based athletes. So regardless of what your former yeah, you job was, that there would be marginal difference between somebody <laughs> yeah, who was so that kind genetically of a, strong. So people talk about farmer farm strength and they talk about man strength and people discussed about. People said about how strong Liam Williams is for such a wiry man. And I thought, well, how would you describe that strength? 
Hmm. And I thought, Amimi Mates talked about this once, and we said that kind of thin person, like pale, thin person strength, it can be best be described as council estate strength. <laughs> yes. It's like, or, or, yeah, or, you know, roofer strength. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's somebody who has got counselor. that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they have not a much job body or profession fat. that requires yeah. them to not be massive. But yet they eat chips yet, every meal. And yet they're just like yes. skinny and immensely strong. And they're fucking strong, hard yeah. as nails. <laughs> okay, and yeah. yeah. So council estate strength. There you go. You can have that one, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Um, Daniel Hulseef got in touch on the Facebook page, actually. Ah. Ooh, you know, you never know. He actually messaged me on Facebook. <laughs> and I went, what's this message on Facebook? I thought it was going to be, you know, somebody trying to sell me something. But it wasn't. It was Daniel Hulseef yeah. who said, good. And this is a good one. Magnus Lund scored for sale at the weekend. Mm-hmm. And Daniel pointed out that that was breaking a 10-year try drought. Holy shit. For Magnus. Well, is that good or is that bad? Well, he did, he did say afterwards, although arguably not scoring for over 10 years is incredibly shit. But I, no, actually, no. No, actually, no. No, that I'm, I'm willing to go with that being good. Fair dues to Magnus. He's a workhorse second row, you know. It's not like he's in a glamour position. I but... remember noticing earlier in the season, like, fuck, is he back? Because he went to Beeritz, didn't he, for a while? Yes. Beeritz for a while. And he? clearly he had a very successful time over there. Wonderful time over there. But he, did, he probably was over there at the worst possible time for Beeritz, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a little bit. He was there with Ali Brew, of course. Of course. <laughs> you mean, uh, what's happened to you? Oh, he got injured, didn't he? That's where Bath's season's fallen apart. That's, well, yeah, there you go. Nail yeah. on the head right there. You wonder why they lost yeah. to Bristol, because Alec Brew's injured. Obviously. Uh, any more good from you? Uh, no, I believe I'm th- right through to shit now. Um, Robbie Owen said, good, and this is going to bring us into shit. Robbie Owen got in touch on Twitter and said, good. People finally talking about how shit George North in defence is, and that he's a big oh. gog turnstile, and then shit, George North. <laughs> <laughs> He's yes, got, he's well, got into shit, this. One of my shits is indeed George North. He's got because... into this pattern when he runs now of doing that one, that 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 double-footed step. I'm a drummer, right? I try and play drums. Yeah. Do, do you know what a flam is, Josh? I, I'm vaguely familiar with what a flam is. Well, for those yeah. who don't know what a flam is, it's a beat that's made up of two beats. So a normal beat, mm. if you can hear this, goes, and a flam yes. goes. Yes. So that would be one, two, and a flam goes. Yes. And that's how his feet go. I don't know why I just, that was a really tortured analogy and explanation, but basically, he jumps in the air, flams both his feet, and moves left, yes. and then it's completely sort of, ruins all his own momentum. Yeah, it's like that sort of Campesi step thing, but it's like Jason Robinson's it. thing. He used to jump in the air, didn't he, and land on both feet? Yeah. He had no idea. But the thing is, Jason Robinson had the most incredible plyometric strength yeah. you've ever seen in your life. He could literally spring about five feet in the air, I think, from a standing yeah. start. So. And also, like, I mean, George was shit, has been shit for a while. Let's not yes. beat around the bush. But how the Welsh Republic can spend the best part of two years crucifying Alex Cuthbert for a couple of really bad missed tackles and then hmm. not really give North any, any... Like, nobody was really talking about how awful those two attempts at tackles on Visser that led up to the deciding try for Scotland yeah, were. Yeah, let me just, let, let's just contextualise that for a way. Missing tackles on Tim Visser. Yes, that well-known elusive runner. <laughs> he's definitely he just, not just he a just big plank of wood. shit yeah. out of it. I don't know whether it's to do with his... He's never been a great defender. He's never been a great I don't know defender, whether it's he's never been his problems with and head injuries or whatever, like, but it's like he shits out of those tackles. As soon as you stop time. doing the stuff you're good at, people just focus more on the stuff you're bad at and start to wonder what it is you're doing. Yeah, and he did nothing. Yeah, because people say, oh, Cuthbert, there's nothing else. Well, North did nothing else. He was fucking anonymous and shite in every facet of the game. He doesn't deserve to be in the team at the minute. It breaks my fucking heart to say that, but it's mm. true. 
shit for Michael Milner Watt was Alex Dunbar's super spanned kick. Oh, I think that was good. I think that was brilliant. I mean, I did, in a, a, a very bleak, dark afternoon for me, that did make me laugh out loud for how <laughs> apocalyptically bad it was. I mean, they were playing advantage, so you have to think, well, I'll just... You know but that, he must have thought, well, I'll just, sure I'll, just, I'll just welly this then. But how the hell it ended up going in that direction, I was do not know. It sort of, yeah, Peter Kay in, in that old antics. <laughs> yeah, have of. it, Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, other shits for me. Yeah. Uh, again, another th- one that I'm not enjoying saying, but Alan Wynn Jones. Like, mm. I still think he's playing his position. Oh at, yeah, at a, a yeah. high level. Yeah, no he's problem. He's been a very good lock yeah. for Wales, but yeah. he, what he's not doing well is captaining Wales at all. Like, everybody, like when we sort yeah. of talk about decision making, made appalling. Yeah, it kind of was. Oh yeah, obviously he's an inspirational leader. He's a leader of men. He's you know he's got so much passion for it great intelligence yeah 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 yeah, whatever but i think over the last couple of weeks i've come to see how being a good leader and a good captain are not the same thing like a good captain well, needs not, to keep his head yeah he needs to when make everyone decisions. else is losing theirs you know and at the end of the game a good leader doesn't say well it was their fault not mine yes like and, he, and he, he got quite shitty and bullshit and like i get it but like You've got to make calm, rational decisions within and the context of the game at all that, times. If you can't handle that media shit, don't do the job. Say, look, it's not yeah, exactly. Me. Like he's his, his press conferences have been so like grumpy and he's just yeah. Like that's that's why Sam Sam Warburton was such a good captain and he never got any credit for it mm. because he was level-headed and rational to a fault. Mm. And you know. Any decision he made, you knew that it was coming probably from a place of cold, hard maths in his head. Yeah. And whereas with Alan Wynn, you look at him and you think, look at how re- we love how revved up he gets at the anthem. But how I are think we that's to what say the problem that, is. that? I think he thinks, I'm going to kick for post here. And then he sees somebody waving a daffodil and comes over all emotional and goes, no, we're going to kick <laughs> for the corner. Fucking stick yeah. it to them foot of the throat, boys. In the corner. Come on, and- boys. It's the Welsh way. Yeah, and it's like that's before we even get into the whole shambles of Dan Bigger basically deciding to ignore him after asking and, him. After Al, asking what do you him, want to do? Yeah, you to say, Al, what, what do you want to do? And then, and then, and then for Jones to admit that at the end of saying it wasn't my fucking idea, it's like so Jim, that fucking gobshite over there. Yeah, like I get it. He's annoyed, but like I, I vividly remember, remember that Italy uh, Wales Italy game at the end of the Six Nations two years ago where. Wales had to win by 7 million points to win the Six Nations. <laughs> yes. um, and they weren't winning very well at half-time. I, I vividly remember, somebody told me an anecdote of basically Gatland was fuming and he never comes down and talks to the players at half-time, but he basically came down at half-time and was ready to give them a bollock in. Hmm. And Sam Warburton literally walked up to him as he came into the changing room, pushed him out of the door, closed it, and then... <laughs> And then just went around every single man in that changing room, looked him in the eye and went, you got this? And nodded. (laughs) And then they went out and did that second half. That was probably the best Wales have ever played. That's amazing. It's an incredible story. And he just looked him in the eye, pointed at them and said, we've got this, haven't we? Yeah? (laughs) Nodded. On to the next man. And that is... Yeah. That's how he led. And that's why nobody really, like, gets that because he doesn't demonstrably show it like other people do yeah but he was such a good captain for Wales and he never got credit for it and I really hope that 
I, I'm sure that Alan Wynn will grow into this because it's a bit of a yeah. It's a big fucking thing, Captain in Wales, because there's so the much. Fact attention is, though, if, you, if you're not sure what to say, just go back on your media training. Just yeah. it's better to and, say platitudes than that, and then go and bollock yeah. the people after. Then go and bollock them bigger yeah. afterwards. And that's the thing. Sam was always about keep it behind closed doors. Yeah, and Alan Wynn is already throwing but that all the final, over the place. So. Final shit for me before we finish yeah. is yes that. Um, and people talk about this Rook thing ruining the game of rugby, right? Here's the thing yeah. that's really ruining the game of rugby. Apparently, Ian Madigan's worth 500 grand a year. <laughs> Fuck me. Who's paying that? That is end of that is end of day stuff. Northampton have offered it, apparently. Wow. According to Maybe that's uh, why Dan Biggers is such a shit move. <laughs> you would be fuming, wouldn't you? Yeah, because yeah, Saints want basically tried to buy him out of his WIU contract, and they said, go fuck yourself, pal. But then apparently there's rumours that Neil Fistler in the rugby paper, rumours that Bristol are going to offer him a shitload of money as well, which is probably why fuck. Big Gav's had to dust off his, uh, his Bisto, <laughs> Lads, yeah. buff himself up and get out there and show what he can do. <laughs> How much are they going to offer Big Gav next year if he keeps playing like this? That's what I want to well, know. You know, you can't put a value on it. It's, They're just going to get to Gav. We'll have a semi-naked statue of you erected outside of Ashton Gate, and he'll go, yeah, I quite like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's not bad. You can piss on it whenever you want. Yeah, so <laughs> that probably brings us to the end. I think it probably does, doesn't of it? Of this yeah. week uh, on that word of Ian Madigan. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will speak to you next week when it's the week off it might be a bit late next week because I'm actually going away next weekend so uh, you selfish bastard I know exactly I'm sorry I'm sorry people out there but um, (laughs) thanks very much for all your contributions I'll see you all soon take care take care everybody bye oh no is it everywhere no sure stay and sort that out we can have dinner another time amazing whether it's cancelled plans (laughs) get in the kitchen and calm down or the need for a quick, convenient distraction. Introducing Goodfellas Mini Pizzas. Four mini pizzas made with respect that cook in 11 minutes. Goodfellas Minis. Embrace the unexpected. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.